and welcome to Lady Jane Books. Today, I have an incredibly exciting live show. Today, we are having the fantastic Laurel Hightower, author of the book Crossroads. We also have my dear booktube buddy, Steve talks about books and stuff. Steve and I actually did a buddy read of Crossroads by Laurel Hightower, and today we're going to talk about it. So welcome both of you to Lady Jane Books. I'm so excited to have you as my first guest on my channel. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is great. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for hosting, and thanks, Laurel, for coming by and chatting with us about Crossroads. Absolutely. Happy to. Thank you all for buddy reading it. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited. Yeah. Awesome. So do you want to start by just kind of introducing yourself, Laurel, about what type of books you write and how you came up with the idea of Crossroads? Sure, yeah. Um, so my name is Laurel Hightower. I write uh, horror. Um, prior to Crossroads, I published my debut novel, um, Whispers in the Dark, which is it's very different from Crossroads. It's a lot more action-packed, um, uh, you know, snipers and, and things like that uh, going on. Um, and I've had some short stories published, and I co-edited the, the uh, charity anthology We Are Wolves last year with uh, Gemma Amora and Sina Paleo. Um, Crossroads came about, uh, it was one of those things that, um, that just came, came about really quickly. We um, drove, uh, the Bluegrass Parkway is, is between where I live and where my sister lives, and, and we take that trip quite a bit, and I, I just saw... Um, I used to, and I'm, you know, still do see all those crosses by the side of the road. And I kind of thought about, you know, why they're there, like whether it reminds people uh, in a bad way or a good way, or, you know, what it would feel like to see that every time I drove that, if it was someone that I loved. Uh, and the story just kind of came from there, you know, about whether just kind of thinking about whether you'd visit it and why. And um, my son and I uh, do a lot of cemetery visits. So, you know, we kind of think about that too, you know, who, who is at the place that you're visiting, whether they are or not. And, um, you know, writing about uh, loss of a child is not something I ever planned to do because uh, it's one of those things I figured that it would be just kind of too hard to deal with. Um, and kind of, you know, I'm a little bit superstitious. So I don't want to say its name really. So yeah. But it, it was just a story that took hold uh, in my head and, and came really quickly. And um, yeah, it definitely didn't wrestle with me the way that every, all my novels wrestle with me. So I'm starting to think maybe novella is, uh, is a really useful format for not taking nine years to put out a book. So. <laughs> That's very cool. So when you write, uh, what's your writing style? Do you just kind of get an idea and then throw it onto the page? Or are you very methodical and do the timelines or how do you create a story like this? In particular with the length of that, I, I, I do not always outline a short story. Um, short stories, the, the ones that are easy for me are the ones that sort of download almost, you know, fully formed and I'm like, Ooh, okay. Yeah. You know, but they're, they're more of a snapshot kind of a thing. There's not really any character development or anything. Um, I, I'm a big fan of outlines. Um, I do commonly one that looks a lot like a, it'll be just a very skeletal kind of scene plan once I've gotten some thoughts out on the page on my characters and what I want to happen to them, what the theme of it is. And then as I go, I do what I call a call and answer. Um, you know, if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever beta read for somebody or even just read a story that you thought, man, that's, you know, that's just not quite complete. I would like to ask, well, what happened to this or why would he do this? 
you know, those are the questions I ask myself as I'm reading so that hopefully no one else later says, what the hell, Hightower, you know? So um, uh, I, I really like that part of it because it allows, it. it's really, it keeps the conversation going within my own head and, and within the story. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely more methodical when it comes to that. Um, and characters are the most important part for me. Uh, they're, you know, it's, it's what I like to read. It's what I like to write. I like to be pulled in by a character. And so it's important for me to get the character right for their actions to seem authentic. Um, and so what I will usually do with a longer piece of fiction is as I'm in the planning stages and in the, you know, writing a few awesome scenes that I, you know, that I kind of have in my head already kind of thing, getting excited about it. I carry around a notebook and I'll kind of think about my character and what their background is. And, and I'll be in a situation and, and be like, hmm, okay, well, I react this way because this is my background, but how would Chris react? How would Rose react? Um, and I really like that time to kind of get in their heads and build out uh, a fleshier backstory that nobody but me is ever going to read, but that, you know, that helps me refer back to when I'm, when I'm putting them on the page. Excellent. Okay, so I think we're about ready to, I think everybody that's viewing has arrived. Um, I would like to try to jump in and do a non-spoilerly discussion first, and then later yeah. on in the discussion, we'll talk all the spoilers. Okay. Um, I do, I do want to give um, a bit of a trigger warning to my audience out of respect for them. This is not a light read by any means. As Laurel mentioned, it does deal with a loss of a child. Um, there's trigger warnings for self-harm, thoughts of suicide, and other more sensitive issues. So if that does bother you or you're uncomfortable with it, feel free to exit out of this video at any time. Yeah, good opportunity to say reading is supposed to be fun. So if any of that sounds not fun, you don't have to read it. Even if you've bought it, throw it across the room. Enjoy reading. Don't suffer. All Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So I just wanted to get that out of the way first. So Steve and I read this, and we read it as a buddy read for August. And I have some thoughts. But first, I want to hear what Steve thinks. Steve, you have the floor. Well, uh, I, I wasn't sure to expect. With this one, I had heard a lot of great things about it. But it is a it's only 110 pages, but there's a lot in this book and it really got to me, um, in, in a good way, but it really made me think about parenthood and about loss and grief. And I'm not sure. I know it's, it's must be really difficult to convey loss and depression and those heavy, really heavy feelings, especially the loss of a child in text, but, and I don't know how it's done. I just know it was done right. And this one, because it is, it, it, you really feel the weight of it when you're reading it. You really feel the grief and the trauma and the just the heavy, really, really heavy feelings on you while you're reading it. So I'm not sure how you did it, but great job with, with conveying that, that feeling Thank of you. darkness. And there, it, there's a ton here that I want to chat with you about. It's more on the spoiler side, but, um, really made me think about parenthood and about, um, life and generations and I'm, I'm not sure maybe i'm looking too much into it but it really just really got to me and really made me think and see things differently than i did before thank you i love to hear that and just based on what you're saying i don't think you were you know reading too much into it there's a you know there's a lot that goes into chris and who she is and why she makes the, the exact decisions that she does so yeah that's yeah i'm glad i'm glad that came across Definitely. thank you 
For me, um, what I really enjoyed about this book was that it was so layered. And Steve mentioned that, you know, he got a lot of um, discussion about grief and loss out of it. I really got a lot of coping mechanisms out of it, like how different people cope under stress and how people cope yeah. with that type of emotion, along with all of the grief. Um, there was a, there are so many themes in this. I don't know how you pack all of this into about a hundred pages. Every single page and every single sentence held a lot of weight to it. There really wasn't anything, you know, mm -hmm. kind of frivolous in my mind. Um, but I also really, really appreciated the writing style in this. It was very stark in some ways. Like the, there wasn't a lot of flowy language. It was very like cut to the chase on, you know, what was happening to Chris. And to me, it almost came pictured, I almost pictured it like a screenplay in some ways. Mm. Like I could see every single scene and it was just a constant roll of images for me. So that's what I really liked particularly about this book. Um, I do want to kind of give just an overview for people if they haven't read it. Um, this book is about a woman named Chris who about a year ago lost her son in a devastating car accident. And a year later, Chris is still mourning the loss of that, um, mourning the loss of her son. And there does seem to be some supernatural elements and she's so in grief, she's so indebted to her grief that things take a very sinister turn. So that's the basic plot of this story. Um, if it's something you're interested in, I highly recommend picking it up. Um, but I think I want to hear about your Steve, your thoughts on the generational parts of it. Are, uh, you mentioned that. Into, yeah, are we gonna are we gonna get into spoilers? I don't want to. I think yeah. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> yes, of wanna, course. I apologize. Just, yes, sure. we are getting into spoilers now. If you do not want to be spoiled, or um, if you would like to leave this stream for any reason. Feel free to do so. We are going to take about five seconds for you to make an exit, and we thank you very much for viewing today. So we are now starting the spoilers. So, uh, well, just really quickly, Jane, what you had mentioned before is there is no fat. There, I, my, all my English teachers, there's no, there's too much fat on the bone when you're writing, and there's all this unnecessary stuff. There is nothing that there is no wasted words or anything in this book. It is. From start to finish, it flows. There's nothing extra that I was kind of like, well, okay, well, where is this going? It was always constantly moving and always um, the story was always progressing. So with there's a, a lot to unpack here, but with the um, what really struck me is the the lengths that Chris is willing to go just for a chance to hold her son again. So her um hurting herself and, and mutilating, mutilating herself and cutting piece of her, pieces of her body off struck me as, um, you know, it, with parenthood, we, we, um, we sacrifice things in our own, we sacrifice our own wants and our own needs. And it's, we don't, we're not mutilating ourselves physically, but we, we make these sacrifices in a loving way for our children to see them succeed and to have a better life. So we, we do these things willingly and out of love to help them become better people than we were and to, and to become, uh, you know, be successful and everything. So the fact that she was willing to go through these lengths just to hold her son for a few minutes, just to um, ha give him the chance to come back. And she was willing to trade places with him. That's almost, um, and, and the fact that, that her mother, Chris's mother didn't, 
uh, wasn't as loving and as, as caring as nurturing as she was. And she and Chris realized that that she she was a different kind of parent than her her mother was. So the fact that she she recognized that and changed the way that changed the things that she knew growing up and she, the way she was raised, and she changed that to be. You know, because because Chris just to conceive sacrificed a lot, you know, mentally and physically and financially, just for the chance to conceive. So she went through all these things just for a chance to have her own child, and I think she broke that cycle of, or she was trying to break the cycle of that type of parenting that her mother had shown her, and that, you know, she she had grown up to be. Um, Chris grew, grew grew up to be better and not to the world, but to her own mother because she realized. The way that she was brought up and the way that her mother didn't nurture her that she nurtured her son so her breaking that cycle was a was a big uh, something a big takeaway for me from the story that she was willing to go through all these lengths to do for her son she went above him you know the things that she was willing to do and her mother wasn't willing to do a quarter of what she was willing and she but she recognized it so breaking that cycle was a big takeaway for me sorry i don't mean to talk to you there's so much i want to talk about with this book but well that's the whole point of a stream that you can talk about it so don't yeah. apologize <laughs> I, I don't want to um, hog the time or anything, but. no 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 of course not um so building off of that that's also something i noticed too but for me it was almost like the two extremes like you had um laurel's mom who was like you have to be you know thankful for everything and you know i'm the one that like put you here and all this stuff and then you have chris who's literally giving up pieces of herself to a point where she no longer exists for her son. And that was spoke volumes for me because I have, I do have a very different perspective than Steve does. We come from different backgrounds and different um, situations in life. But for me, it was almost like you have to find a middle ground. Like don't be the type that is going to beat your child down, but also don't give up something so much that you're losing yourself in the process. That was kind of the most frustrating part of this book for me because I'm a person that love means boundaries sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I could sometimes relate with the mother where, you know, she probably wasn't the type to let Chris go out at midnight. You know what I mean? Like you can see where she drew some pretty healthy boundaries. But at the same time, you know, Chris having this all-consuming love for Trey, her son, it, it didn't sometimes seem healthy to me too. So it was kind of like this battle of neither one is the perfect parent, not that there is such a thing, but it was so stark for me that you need something in the middle at some point. So I thought that was really interesting that you brought the mother into uh, the grandmother. I call her the grandmother, yeah. um, the grandmother into the story, because then it kind of personified why Chris was doing what she was doing. And that was the frustrating part because I was like, why are you doing this? You don't have to be like, this road is not going to end well for you, Chris. You have to like draw the line at some point. But then once I met the grandma, I was like, oh, that's why. Okay, I get it now. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's a big thing with it is that, um, you know, Chris is, you have different different people who are involved in Trey's life who are grieving him in different ways. Yeah. You know, and Lenore's is not healthy because it's it's still wrapped up in herself. It's it is the view of her as a grieving grandmother and how that, you know, keeps the spotlight on her. Um, 
and you have Bo, who actually is probably grieving the healthiest out of the adults who are involved here, you know, and in some ways to Chris, it might seem a little heartless or she just doesn't understand how a person could move on. But the point is not moving on. It's, you know, it's continuing to live. And Bo has done that successfully, um, you know, certainly more so than Chris has. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's important to take away from it that Chris is, you know, Chris is not uh, exemplifying perfect parenthood. She's not exemplifying, you know, what anyone should strive to be. Um, but she is, she's programmed to do that, you know, because, because of her mother, because of how she was raised, a lot of people, when they're not happy with their childhood, they want to swing the pendulum the complete opposite way. I want to do everything my parents didn't do. And I want to not do all the things that they did. And there's with her, what, what I felt like was kind of, for, for me, most frightening about it in the situation she found herself in was her lucidity. Yeah. Um, and that is something that, you know, I mean, I people always kind of wonder whether they're characters you write or yourself. And the answer is yes and no. Um, she's not me, but I have to be part her for me to be able to, you know, to convey things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, that's something that I really understand. It's always interesting to me to read, you know, really well done um, uh, stories that deal with like kind of a descent into madness or those sorts of things, because it's not something, it, it's frightening to me, but it's also not something that I can really, I don't think I could do that accurately uh, because I'm almost obnoxiously lucid, like at all times. So, you know, I could look at something and be like, wow, I would really like to descend into madness at this moment you know, reality seems terrible. I'd, I'd like to go descend into this. And it's, you know, it's not. So I can see myself being like, yeah, I mean, look, the idea of cutting off my own thumb is clearly a poor idea on any level. I can't imagine why anyone would do it. And yet I can really connect the dots here and I can see, yeah. why, you know, it's creepy. Um, so that, you know, that part was what was creepy to me and adding that lucidity to it was what made it, you know, real to me was like, hey, you know, this is not something that, um, you know, that necessarily anyone in her life is going to look at and say, whoa, she's really, you know, she's, she's not with it. You know, it's, it's what, it's what puts her at greater danger though. That exact lucidity, that ability to reason through it, that ability to be convincing to the people around her. um, It's just, it's all a perfect storm to completely, you know, bring her down the path that she ends up on. That's actually another point that I really enjoyed is that obviously we're in Chris's perspective, but looking at it objectively she had so much support around her you know she had her boyfriend um dan she had the ex-husband Bo. she had her mother even though that's kind of useless but okay um she had the people around her and yet she still suffered so much on her own even though she had like a support system that was an incredibly powerful thing for me because it really personified exactly how lonely and how deep into her despair she was that even if the resources were right there she didn't, she couldn't bring herself to ask for help when she needed things, you know, before things got really bad. So I thought that was a very poignant part of the book and I thought it was really well done and it was something to work you. worth exploring. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I also, partic- oh, sorry, Steve, no, go sorry. ahead. No, 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 you're the guest. You go right ahead. No, I was just going to mention um, with, with um, another thing that struck me in the story was the grief that she was and the fact that she was grieving and um, it was almost like she was being taken advantage of. And it wasn't only people, it wasn't only this force or this 
just people in general, the way that they prey on, on other people who are in the grieving process. That really struck me too, is how these people um, just get preyed upon by, you know, so people who are, um, they can take, they, they see those situations as a chance for them to, um, you know, as a chance to pounce and, and just take advantage of people who are in that kind of state of mind. So that was, and that's even a little bit more frightening is the fact that yeah. people are willing to do that to each other and knowing what they've been through. That's just awful. But yeah, that, you brought up such a, you brought, you're reading, you're reading my mind, Steve, stop oh. it. That was my next point. Um, so <laughs> another point that I, I obviously got different things than Steve did out of this book. Um, but one of the main things was that there was almost this undertone of abuse for me from the entity, because when I was looking at Trey and at their final like interaction where Trey's like, you need to make the ultimate sacrifice, you need to do it, you need to hurry. That to me, when you look at it objectively and when you forget that it's Trey or her perception of Trey, and you look at the wording, it's very manipulative and very abusive in some cases. So I was, and to me, that kind of spoke on sometimes like victims of like domestic abuse where they're so in love and they're so infatuated that they can't see the other person bringing them down to like the worst level that another person can possibly do. That was the turning point for me in this book. That was where I was like, I have to stop reading because that was very emotionally hard for me to read. Um, I don't know if you did that on purpose or not. I, I wasn't sure because this is a book about grief, but I kind of got that sense where it was almost like healthy love has boundaries in some cases. And the only way I can describe it was that, I, you know that adage saying, well, if you love me, you would do this. And then the person turns around and says, well, if you love me, you wouldn't ask me to. That's yeah. the only thing that like rang so clear in my mind with that interaction. Yeah. So I don't know if that was purposeful. I don't know if that's just something I picked up on. Uh, but it was a really powerful moment for me in the book. It was, and and I like, I, I really love doing this stuff because I like to hear how people interpret certain things and, you know, how it strikes them. Because I can have... Um, you know, an idea of how I want to convey something, but it's, it's interesting because it, you know, it can go all these other places and have all these other meanings. Um, I didn't think about it specifically in terms of that kind of setting, but you're right. You know, it is very applicable. It's exactly that kind of thing. And one of the things that I, you know, cause you're writing this story, you have to answer the question. It's like with the haunted house. Why do they stay in the house? You have to answer that yeah. question. Why does she continue? You know, when obviously there's something wrong and she knows it herself, she can feel it. But to admit that and to question it and go further in it means that she loses what she's got and she's not willing yeah. to do that, you know. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, the manipulation aspect of it is intentional, you know, and particularly you start with because that's the thing with people who manipulate and abuse and harass and things like that is that they don't ever start out strong like that. They show up and they smile and they're easygoing and it's, you know, it's everything you ever wanted in that moment and it's fantastic. And it's only later that things start to, you know, you get asked to do a little bit more. And the idea of the haste of it, of the you have yeah. to hurry, you know. The hurry, the hurry word, that's what got me. I was like, nope, I got to, I have to step away from this for a minute. The hurry yeah. word. That bothered me a lot. And that is a big tool of manipulators, you know, because if you have time to sit and think about things, if you have yeah. time to consult with somebody else, if you know yourself to be biased, then you're going to have a better opportunity to step away from something. But if you're being told 
you know, you have to hurry. There's a time frame on this. Um, and then, you know, an, another aspect that I included because, uh, uh, you know, where he, where he says, don't you know your own son? When for a minute yeah. she wonders, like, is this yeah. you? It's like gaslighting. Um, it is. And yeah. it, it was so there was this, I don't know if this has happened to anyone you know, but just, you know, FYI, there's a, there is a scam that happens um, where someone will call They'll, they'll know enough information to be able to convince the person. They usually target elderly people. So my in-laws, um, who were in their mid-80s at the time, uh, a, few, a few years before I wrote this, would get, I, I have a stepson too, um, 26-year-old stepson, wonderful, wonderful. Um, and, you know, he's got a, a cousin who's, you know, close to his age. And at the time that they were making these calls, it was believable that these boys might be somewhere doing something they shouldn't do. So my mother-in-law gets a call or my father, I forget. Anyways, they get a call and it's like, oh, this is, you know, this is uh, Taylor. Um, I'm in trouble. I'm in uh, Jamaica and I've, you know, I've, I've smuggled drugs, uh, just, you know, just something. And it's like, and he, and the caller said like, um, you know, I, I don't want you, I didn't want to call mom because it's her birthday. So he's got just enough information to be like, oh, well, you know, and she even said, she was like, are you, sh this doesn't sound like you, Taylor. And the caller said, don't you know your own grandson? That's what tipped <gasps> oh. it for her. Hmm. And I just thought that was so effective. It's because it's that guilt thing. It's the, uh, not only am I calling Why you would for you help, question you me? Yeah, yeah, you don't recognize my voice. What kind of a grandparent are you? What kind of a mother are you? You know, if you don't recognize that kind of a thing, it was such an effective manipulation. So yeah, when I was writing this, I was like, yeah, that's, you know, yeah. something to throw in there. That did actually happen to a friend of mine as well. It and is. they called twice. Thankfully, somebody, thankfully she stopped for a moment and she thought about it and she's like, wait a minute, I just saw her this morning. Why would this happen? So thankfully everything was okay, but you're right. People can kind of, I think it's that surprise element too, mm -hmm. but I think for Chris, it wasn't necessarily surprise, but it was her grief mixed in with the, uh, the expectation, expectation of never having, never seeing her son again. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And yeah. that to her would have been the surprise element. So I thought that was very interesting that you weave that into. I like that story. That's interesting, Laurel. Thanks. Yeah, I, I hate that it. I hate that it happens. Um, yeah. They, the first time it happened, they actually did wire the money. But my oh. my husband is, you know, he he was on it and he went and he stopped the wire, so nothing happened. You know, okay. but it was a big conversation we had within the family. You know, yeah. um, so that the, yeah, the next couple times they called, it was click. But yeah, just yeah. To, to anybody who needs to know that that is a scam, be very aware, you know, um, in, in my uh, family of origin, we we have a code word that we've had since we were kids, that mm -hmm. you know, if you need, to, if you need to convey that you're in trouble, or if you need to prove that you're who you are on the phone, we still have, you know, we have that. I, it's probably really uh, hyper vigilant, but I, I kind of recommend it for situations like that. Not hyper vigilant whatsoever, you have to be careful this day and age. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I actually did want to talk a little bit more about like the supernatural elements in this mm -hmm. book. Um, I think they were done very in a very interesting way that it wasn't necessarily like a spooky book, but it was just enough that it weaved in well with the realistic parts um, of the other book. I'm going to be totally honest. When I read the um, blurb for this, I was so afraid that it was kind of going to be a little bit like a pet cemetery retelling, but I was. <laughs> It so, does sound like it does. It does. Like when you read the blurb, it does. But it's, it was so unique. You know, it, it really wasn't. It was really its own um, entity and its own story. Um, and I think what was really important to that was was the supernatural element. Um, 
So how did you come up with that? Like, obviously, Chris is a fan of the horror genre. She's kind of like, likes these paranormal shows. But was that intentional that you needed like this other entity in order to get her to do what she was doing? Or does it serve another purpose? Because it's, it's very subtle. It's not, you know, it's not the be all end all of this book, in other words. Yeah, and it, it's one of those things that, like, so I've I've often said that I am extremely literal minded. You know, when you've got like little kids and they don't get, um, uh, you know, subtext at all or anything. Like, I never really grew out of that. I'm you like, you know, I'm still just like, I'm sorry, explain yourself. No, I don't understand. You know, and ambiguous horror used to drive me nuts. I'm like, is there an alien or is there not? <laughs> you can't leave me here. Um, but you know, the more I started reading, the more I got into realizing how effective it could be. You know, that, um, and Paul Tremblay, of course, is just the absolute master of the ambiguous horror. Um, And I know it drives people crazy. Sometimes it's funny to read reviews of his stuff because they're like, but they never answered the question. It's like, (laughs) exactly. Really frustrating, isn't it? But still. So with this, the way that this story fell, um, I did not know exactly how it was going to end until I got there. Um, but I, I had a clear idea and I knew that there was something supernatural going on because, you know, the, the kind of the fact of the matter is you start with, you know, a visitation of a ghost, right? And that, that can happen at any, you know, in any story at any time, there could be a number of reasons to have that visitation, but for something to ask you for sacrifices of that nature of, for a chance of actually like them living again, to me, there's no question that it couldn't possibly be her son. Right. Because she has screwed some things up as a parent in the sense that, as as you mentioned, which I think is wise, you know, love is about boundaries. That's healthy love. And even, you know, Steve, as you mentioned, like you you sacrifice for your kids, you sacrifice all the time. It is a fine line to walk to figure out what is the correct sacrifice. Right. Mm -hmm. Because there's, you know, there's giving up what your interests and, and your needs to put there as first, which I think is paramount. But you can't do that to your own detriment and not just for your own good, but for theirs, because they need to see those boundaries themselves. They need to learn those boundaries. Mm -hmm. I don't want to raise a son who's going to grow up and, you know, give everything of himself to someone else and not, you know, not be well in a healthy fashion. So to my way of thinking, Chris did a good job with that part, you know, and that Trey is not the kind of boy who would who would ask his mother for that kind of sacrifice. Um, but you know, it just kind of has to be, there had to be something there and it had to be something pretty dark because yeah, I mean, people or anything that preys on somebody who's in that vulnerable of a position, who's really the only person who's going to give in to something like that, right? You go across somebody, you know, there's nothing you can offer most people that's going to make them make those kinds of sacrifices, just not anything that's worth it. And, you know, that's exactly who you have to pinpoint and the kind of, you know, creature like that is looking for an open door and they don't care what causes that open door. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I wanted it to be present. Um, I'm a huge fan of the supernatural. That's always, you know, always my big thing. I love ghosts. Um, but I didn't want it to take this whole thing over. I wanted the story to be able to stand, you know, without that uh, to a degree. Because it was really, it was really about Chris's internal um just everything that was going on with her and that, you know, and what made her vulnerable to it. Steve, you mentioned that you really, you had some thoughts on the last page. I want to hear what your, your interpretation of what your thoughts were. Well, 
I'm not, I'm not quite sure because I thought, <laughs> so I went back, I've read it over several times and I wasn't sure how dark <laughs> the ending was. So initially my initial reaction was that um, this entity was pulling, pulling strings, you know, from on Trey and on Chris and Trey was trapped at the cross and he was trying to call out to his mother which is doing these things to to not to not continue doing them because he was trying to get her attention and tell her not to do it and so but I've gone back and forth whether that's him stuck there or if he's somewhere else calling to her and not trapped because of the entity if he's just trying to contact her another way so I've I've gone back and forth with that but I wasn't sure how dark the the story was going to be but but the supernatural portions were um i like that they were subtle and they weren't too um they were just enough to make it creepy because you it left more to your imagination than it was just spoon-fed to us so that was more effective yeah thank you thanks well i can answer the question i never know whether i should because it's like you know does it kill the magic if i just tell you like the exact thing i was thinking for I'm, I'm go right go right for it go right for it laurel um he's not he's not trapped the entity doesn't have any hold over him, but he is unable to influence the world and contact and visit with that same level of strength. Hmm. He's, he's able to make noise. He's able to, you know, hang out at the place where his mother is going to be for that sort of interaction. Um, but he can't just, you know, come smack up to her like like this creature does. He can't appear to her as himself in a convincing fashion. Um, you know, so he's kind of left with, and, and, and uh, you know, full disclosure, I've, I completely believe in ghosts. I, uh, I have seen them. I have heard them. I've experienced them with the caveat that I'm, you know, fully okay with whenever I cross, you know, whatever boundary there is, whoever meets me saying, yeah, great imagination. None of that was real. I don't know what you're talking about, you know, but but to my interpretation, the way that I believe, I feel like I've experienced those things. And I have, I feel like the connection is on a different plane. It's in a way that makes it really hard for us to understand one another. Um, and so to me, it would make sense that, you know, he would, I, I think that the dead speak to us in dreams. I don't think necessarily that every time I dream of someone who's dead, that it's them. But I do think that, I do think it's one of the most effective ways they have of speaking to us. Hmm. Um, you know, so him visiting Bo and that sort of thing, because part of it is also who's open to them in that fashion. And if you think about it, if Chris is focused on this changeling thing, that's not her son, then, you know, she's closed off to what really is because yeah. that, you know, it's not as strong of a signal, I guess. Hmm. So that was kind of my, my thought pattern on that. Yeah, that's interesting. I actually hadn't thought of that part because I thought it was kind of all one, you know, like maybe the entity was reaching out to Bo and, you know, I wasn't sure like what was going on in that section. So that's really interesting that you clarified that because now it brings another meaning for me and how I read it. Yeah, because, well, because my thought on it is Bo wouldn't be susceptible, you know, he's yeah. kind of got to, he would not, it's, it's a, you know, it's a little bit ironic at that point. He's, even though he's been the one to take those steps on, he's more open to the actual real version of his son, you know? Mm. Um, 
and and yeah, I mean that you know that kind of plays into it just in their different way. But I, I thought that was something to explore too, because whether you you know divorce or you stay married, um, uh, you know, and I'm married um, happily, but how a how different parents, and I don't want to say necessarily that it's always fathers versus mothers, but uh, there are just you know if my if my mom's group on Facebook is anything to go by, there's you know there's a lot of consistencies in you know, how mothers deal with certain things with kids and how fathers do and, you know, the different ways that they experience those specific kinds of bonds. So, you know, and, and it's not a measure of who's better or whose method is better. It simply, you know, is what it is and it affects how, um, and have you seen um, uh, What Dreams May Come, the Robin Williams movie? I have not. Okay. Um, well, won't, you know, dwell on it too much, but yeah, Steve, like, you know, the, the different ways the parents experience the grief you know, the mom just goes completely off the deep end. Yeah. Spoilers for a really old movie. Um, <laughs> uh, and she's furious that he won't come with her. Mm-hmm. She's furious that he's still able to function, you know, and I, I can definitely see that being one of those reasons why people split up after, after loss is, you know, like, why are you still standing? That's, mm-hmm. you know, what kind of person are you kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I just, I think there's a lot that people deal with in grief that that is not necessarily just about the grief of the person that they've lost. There's, um, you know, p- part of the thing with layering in the grief with her, uh, and the way that it affects everything is, is because, you know, and my husband is, he's, he's fine, but we had a health scare a few years ago, um, that was just deeply frightening. Uh, my son was just a few months old and he got a diagnosis that turned out to be, uh, not, you know, as bad as it sounded, but, but for like a full day, it was just like, yeah you know, you're probably going to end up being a widow at a very young age and, you know, your kid's going to be, and, you know, he was in the hospital for like about a week and I, you know, had my son by myself. I was visiting him every day, but all the little things that you think about in a situation like that, you're like, you know, how long would it take me to stop making eight cups of coffee Mm -hmm. and then be devastated when he doesn't come out of his room and have, you know, have his half of the pot, you know, it's your everyday little things. Um, and so, yeah, for Chris, like, you know, I mean, when you have kids, they, they are, or, you know, a spouse or whoever is part of your everyday life, your animals, you know, I mean, God, I'm, I'm still, I, you know, lost a, lost a dog and a cat in 2015. And I still, it's like, because they were my everyday, Mm -hmm. you know, you miss, you miss them greeting you, all those kinds of things. And that's, yeah, I mean, ultimately that's also what builds up and makes Chris, imminently vulnerable to this. So I feel like I keep like wandering off on these paths. So if I ever don't answer the question, please let me know. I will, I'll redirect. No, that's why we had you here, Laurel. So you can show us the paths. (laughs) Uh, So, um, oh, there was something else I I asked. Oh my goodness. Steve, what was your next point? I'm sorry. I I wrote something down for that, but I forget. So it's your, your, it's your turn to talk now. Um, I just had someone in my mind, and now I just slept as I was uh, <laughs> talking. Um, I think we were talking about the uh, supernatural portions and the um, yeah. the traumatic. Is is there a way that you write? Because, like I mentioned, the the feeling of loss and grief was really um, really impactful. Is there something that you do or words that you use while you're writing to convey that those feelings? It's, it's really a lot more of like kind of the character immersion sort of a thing. It's, um, I hesitate to use the term like, 
I don't know, for some reason, if you if you say you're an empath, that there seems to be a lot of like weird negative connotation to it. Um, but I, I will say that I tend to have a very high level of empathy, which is, you know, not not always a great thing. But um, but I feel like it's one of those things, you know, that that I can tend to really lean into into people's feelings when I'm speaking with them and really see their sides of things and really, you know, I'm not I'm not saying that means and then I experience it as bad as they do, but you know, it's more just that I'm very open to being able to see how that affects somebody. You know, so even if it's something that I haven't experienced myself, I can I can definitely see how it applies to a character. I can, you know, I can see how that would affect and kind of live in that head for a little while. So yeah, you know, like I mentioned with keeping the notebook and, and making notes, it's like, okay, well, if you're Chris and you've lost your son and you go to like the wedding of, you know, a friend's child, you know, mm-hmm. how do you feel about that wedding? It's, it's hit after hit after hit of not seeing, you know, your child reach these milestones that, that you would have expected, you know, so mm-hmm. you're, you're grieving things that haven't even happened yet and never will. So it's mm-hmm. that kind of thing. It's that kind of immersion into it. It's that kind of just like being willing to really let the character guide it, let them have their own, um, let them have their own full personality and letting them just, you know, guide their dialogue and, and what happens to them in the, in those sorts of things to just make it, um, you know, just, just to let people experience it along with them. Mm-hmm. Because while I was reading this, I wondered to myself, as the story was unfolding, is how far would I go if I was in her shoes? You know, what, how far would I be willing to go to see my my child who was killed or who was in this horrible accident just for a few minutes, just to see him? And even if I knew somewhere deep down that it was not him, you know, how how could I not sacrifice? You know, why, how could I not hurt myself? And have to live through losing them again, and that's part of what I think the the uh, the entity was was uh, was using to manipulate her, manipulate her. And the point you you uh, both of you brought up about uh, the way it was the, the way the language it used to manipulate her was really good. Because um, I didn't catch that. On uh, I know that it was manipulating her, but the the words that it used and the way that it did that was really it, it's really insightful to hear both of you talk about that. Thank you. Yeah, it's, yeah, there's, uh, there's just a a lot that I guess kind of goes into that. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, I mean, also a lot that, that gets picked up on that I, that I never, you know, specifically thought about myself. So that's, I don't know, it's just one of the really, I I love being able to write and I, I love, I'm very lucky to have the opportunity to have people read my work and connect with it and, you know, and offer their feedback on it and how they experienced it. And I mean, I, I've had people who, who were really didn't care for it all because they, they, you know, they said, they're like, well, my kid would never do this. And this is just how I experienced this exactly. And I think that that's, that's worthwhile too, because it's, you know, it, I made specific choices as a writer, but sometimes that means alienating a certain sector or, or it not, you know, it just being like, okay, well, you know, I'm not, I'm, this doesn't process for me. This doesn't compute. But the fact that they're willing to actually like put themselves in there and give it a try, I just, I, I'm, I'm always grateful for that. And, um, you know, in case it, in case you haven't stumbled across me saying it before, I am a writer who welcomes all reviews. I think that reviewers, reviews are for the reviewer space. That doesn't mean an author doesn't ever read them. Of course we do sometimes, but I think reviewers should be allowed to say whatever it is that they need to say in their reviews without any kind of, you know, being bothered 
uh, <laughs> or worrying that anyone's like leaning over their shoulder, you know, like what exactly did you mean by that? Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, so, oh, go ahead, Steve. No, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you go. You're the guest. You go. Uh, <laughs> I was just going to mention, um, and to your point that you made about, well, some of the people who have read it and said, well, my child would have never done that. I think, I think in the book, I think Chris even mentions in the book that it was, it's not like him to do something that he, that's, out of, that's not his personality to do that. But I kind of get the feeling that she perceived it as he was being forced to come and see her and to ask and he was he, there were some somebody was punishing him for her not going as far as yeah. they wanted her to go so i think that was part of it was that he was he didn't have full control over what he was doing um so i think that's that's maybe and i'm not sure if that was intentional or not but that i got i that came across to me as um he he didn't have full control and that that's part of the manipulation that the entity was using to manipulate her, but that's something that came across as um, he didn't have full control of what was happening either uh, for her in her eyes anyway. Well, and if you, you know, I don't know how old your kids are, um, Steve, but uh, if you've, you know, if you've raised an adolescent, which my, my stepson was 10 when I met my husband. Um, and, and if you, I, I just, I tend to retain very, very clear memories of how it felt to be an adolescent. Um, and gosh, you do turn into a different person. Mm -hmm. You know, your, your child does things that are, and it's not in a, and it's not in a judgmental way at all. It's not like you monster, but it's, they're doing <laughs> things that are so different from the child that you knew mm -hmm. from their personality type. It's, it's just a different way of them becoming, you know, it is still mm -hmm. them, but it's a version of them. So if one, you know, I feel like for Chris, when she's raised this child through adolescence, you understand that there are phases during which there's great changes that take place that oh, you yeah. are not always privy to. And, you know, for me as a parent, it's been very important to be, you know, to embrace those sorts of things because I never want either of my, you know, my, my stepson or, or my, uh, or tiny, you know, to feel, it always feels just like, or my biological, it's like, why, you know, why make distinctions? But in any case, my kids, I don't want either of them to feel like the person that they're becoming or the person they're revealing to me is unwelcome. You know, um, my arms are like this, you know, they're, they're open wide, they're for you, you know, no, no matter who you are. And I feel like to Chris, that's important too. Okay. You know, well, you died. So you've been through something, you know, and it's okay if there are personality changes related to that or, you know, and then with Lenora's presence too, to very specifically be combating and making her turn her face from the whole my God, you know, I just, I, I sliced myself up and you're not even, you know, happy about it. She's going to freeze herself in that thought pattern and say, no, I'm not going down that path of you must be grateful. You know, so again, it really is kind of a perfect storm that, that really hoses Chris, you know, in this situation. But yeah, yeah, the entity is bad news. Something, something that I also took from that was um, up to this point, like obviously we're in Chris's point of view and Chris lost her son so and i do think sometimes we have a tendency to glorify people who have passed mm -hmm. away and yeah. you know i read as reading it i'm like wow this kid was perfect this kid like did no wrong this you know and everything and then there was a line from the grandmother that said oh well he was into this he was doing this and that to me kind of just brought my attention to not how delusional um chris was but how much she she wasn't like in touch with that entity wasn't her son, 
just like yeah. it may not have been touched with some of the behaviors when he was living. So I thought that was a really interesting point where it's a little like you see somebody that you love is so perfect and, you know, can do no wrong. And, you know, this is, um, you know, he's by everything. He, he can do no wrong. Um, and I think that's what really fed into the entity being able to latch onto her because she didn't question anything like that. And then it kind of all goes around to like things we've already talked about, but that's yeah. a line that really, that struck, stuck out to me personally that, well, he was into this, he was into that. And it's like, you're glorifying Trey. And if you really knew Trey, he wouldn't be asking you to do this. And it changed the whole tone of the book for me at that moment, but it was something that was really valuable. Hmm. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. There's, those, you know, those interactions are just, I mean, it goes back to the generational thing. I'm, I'm reading this really great book right now, um, nonfiction. It's called When the Body Says No, but it's it's about, I mean, it's about drawing those boundaries. It's about how ill you can make yourself by never, by never living for yourself, by never, you know, recognizing um, that just as a person, you, you have, you can't give all the time. You know, you have to be able to take, take or just rest or any of those kinds of things. And, and it's something, you know, I had not read it at the time that I wrote this, but it's, I think it's, I think it's very common with parents in particular, because especially, you know, when your child is, is very little, they depend on you for everything. And there is no, you know, there is no you, there's no interests that are just you that you can, you know, assert over an infant. Um, and it's something that just sort of changes as they get older. And you have to kind of, I guess, be on top of that. Another 150 things you can screw up as a parent and never know until your kids reach adulthood and yeah. I'll confront you with it. But, you know, I'll pay for the therapy. Absolutely. <laughs> Steve, do you have any last talking points that you'd like to bring up to Laurel? Um, there was a, the, it's, it's towards the end of the book, but there was a, a few sentences here that really got to me that it's funny because in a story so dark, um, there are some spots that are like a celebration of how how wonderful being a parent is. I think it's, mm. is that fair to say? Um, yeah. But there's a couple of lines in here that, um, and I have it, have it marked on my page, but um, it be, it's on page 106, but it, uh, being Trey's mother had always been the scariest, most stressful, exhausting, wonderful, and perfect thing she's ever done. Uh, an answer to a thousand prayers and certainly worth this. I think that was really, there's little, little sprinkles in there of, I, I, I don't say optimism or, hope but i think in her mind there was but i think just in general how wonderful being a parent is even though because it pushes us to all these different places we've and be, before my my son was my son's 16 now but when my my wife was pregnant i had friends that told me your life will never be the same and, and i knew it wouldn't ever be but there's no way for you to ever know until you experience it so yeah and when you when it when he was born and obviously since that day it's just everything changes you know your life is never the same and in wonder in wonderful in great ways and there's also can be bad ways too but um so that really struck me as how wonderful it can be to be a parent and uh, obviously i have no experience being a motherhood but it's um uh, it's it's important that we we cherish mothers and motherhood and understand how wonderful that connection is because i, I don't have that connection that my, that my wife does to our, our kids so i think that was important to I, that really got to me a little bit towards the end is her reflecting back on how wonderful it was to be an parent and kind of spoke to her motivations of why she was willing to go to the length she was, even though it didn't, it wasn't obviously the right choice, but her, her mindset of why she made the choices she did. Yeah. If there's a chance, you know, 
it's the it's the even knowing that it's probably wrong but but to give up everything just for the chance for your kid for no guarantees yeah. right you know yeah the no guarantees thing got me too because i'm like oh. so laurel um i want to we had just have like a minute or two left do you want to tell the any the audience on how to contact you or anything new or up and coming anything exciting you got going on or Sure. Yeah, I, I am. Um, I have a contact form through my website, and I tend to answer those emails pretty quickly. Um, uh, it is a really out of date website, though, so don't judge me too much on that. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm primarily on Twitter. I am on Twitter to a detrimental degree um, at Hightower Laurel. Uh, and um, as far as stuff coming up right now, I am working on. Um, I'm co-editing an anthology called The Dead Inside um, with Dark Dispatch. Uh, we are subs closed. The little less than two weeks ago. So I'm reading through those. Um, it's identity horror, um, which has been just, man, we've got some subs that have just bled on the page and just utterly blown my mind. So I'm very excited to be putting that together. Um, uh, and then I've got some short stories that are coming up in a few anthologies. Diabolica Americana is going to have one from me called Iron Coffin. Um, woman uh, Made by Man has one of mine called Goddess of Need. And I feel like there's probably others that I'm slightly forgetting at this juncture because I'm terrible about stuff like that. But yeah, I'm, I've got that kind of stuff going on and I've got some um, some bigger stuff out on submission with publishers. So fingers crossed on, on those fronts. Exciting. Exciting. Well, I want to um, thank you so much. Thank you both for being here today. This has been a lovely discussion. I really enjoyed Crossroads. Um, thank you. It is a heavier book. I do. I would recommend it to people who are interested in this type of thing because it really is a great exploration of grief. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, I I really appreciate you guys having me on and and reading it. It's been awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you both again. Thank you to all my. Our, uh, thank you again to all of our viewers. I really appreciate you spending your Sunday with me. And that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for watching, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>